Good afternoon. It is a joy to be here. I'm very thankful for, for everyone here. We do have uh, several who are out. But it is a, a blessing to be able uh, to join together, to open God's word together. Our, our, our goal here and everything that we teach, everything that we practice is to be grounded in God's word because we, we want to know him. Uh, we want a relationship with him. We want to be pleasing to him. Uh, and the only way that we're going to know what it is that he desires from us is, is to go to his word. Uh, so that's where we want the focus to be today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we finished a three-part series on how to truly improve our worship. And, and I hope that that series helped provide some, some clarity and, and, and biblical answers to how we should think about worship uh, and work to more fully engage our, our hearts and our minds in, in song worship in particular. But, but I recognize that it probably brought up uh, about as many questions as it answered. And one of those questions is what I want to take some time to address today. I want to talk about why don't we here use instruments in, in worship? Uh, this is a question that, that I've been uh, asked at, at times to, to preach on, and I've been hesitant to preach on it from the pulpit uh, because I know that there are differences in personal conviction uh, among the brethren here. Uh, and, and the last thing that I want to do uh, is to make this some issue of, of division among us. And, and that's the reason that I wanted us to start by reading Romans 14 uh, together. I praise God for the brethren uh, among us here who, who believe that they have the liberty to, to use instruments and have chosen not to do so uh, for the, the spiritual well-being uh, and encouragement uh, of the brethren around them. They are walking in love. They are uh, not putting a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of their brethren. Uh, they are doing things that make for peace in the mutual upbuilding, and I praise God for that. And, and while I believe no issue of what is and is not the will of God is unimportant, right? If, if it's a matter of what does God desire of us, what does he not desire of us, of course it's important. Um, I, this lesson is not intended in any way to pass judgment upon the convictions of others. Uh, Romans 14, verse 3 and 4 said, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Uh, Paul's instructions about not passing judgment here are not based on um, this being okay are not based on, um, you know, the, the convictions of these brethren being correct or being permissible. It is the fact that they will stand or fall before the Lord that this is based on. Uh, and God, in his grace, is able to make them stand even if their convictions may, may be wrong uh, or incorrect in this area. Um, so in what we're going to discuss today, I want to make it very clear. My, my intention is to stay far away from, from passing judgment on, on the convictions of others. That, that, that's not what we're seeking to do here. Um, but that doesn't mean that we never speak about the issues that we differ on. If we're ever going to grow in our convictions and our understanding, I, I think it is appropriate that we consider the biblical truths uh, that our convictions are based on and try to evaluate these things openly and honestly. I want you to notice later on in Romans 14, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Paul wanted to stress first and foremost that they do the things that pers- that make for peace and the building up of one another, um, that they act in, in love, not causing each other to stumble. But that doesn't mean he doesn't speak the truth on this issue. <laughs> pa- Paul does speak the truth in verse 14. He says that this is the, the truth about this. In fact, not only does Paul speak about that here in Romans 14, he speaks about the same thing in 1 Corinthians uh, and Colossians and 1 Timothy. Um, and so just because there is room for us to differ in personal convictions doesn't mean that we just don't talk about those things, right? Uh, and so my goal in this is that we can look at some of the biblical truths that will hopefully help us in forming our own convictions on these issues, uh, whether they, they may uh, differ from my own or not. And in so doing, I pray that we can continue as a congregation to pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. But, you know, for, for visitors who are coming in, you may notice that, that we, we don't use instruments. Why is that? Why, why are we not using instruments here? And, and, and the way that I intend to, to approach this is by uh, addressing some questions um, or, or arguments uh, in, in favor of, of using instruments and, and trying to look at some of these things, uh, looking at some biblical principles that would apply. So first of all, we, we might say, well, uh, clearly uh, musical instruments is not prohibited in the scripture, right? There, you, you're not anywhere in the New Testament uh, going to find a, a scripture that says, well, you, you shouldn't be using instruments. Uh, does that mean that that would be a good thing for us to do? Well, I, I think we need to recognize that neither is it instructed of us or, or per- permitted of us. Our worship must be based on what God has spoken uh, and not on what he has. And we talked about, as we talked about improving our worship, first and foremost, worship is about the Lord. It's not about us, right? It's not about what, what it is that we're seeking, what it is that we want. Uh, worship is intended to be a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. And so if we want uh, our, our service, our worship to God to be what he desires, we, we need to be listening to what he, he says. Our service to God is not about doing whatever we think is a good idea, as long as God hasn't said, thou shalt not do it, right? Um, We must seek what he does desire, what he does instruct us. If we want to serve the king, we need to be acting on his authority or according to his permission, not simply by our own ideas and good intentions. Uh, And we could spend an entire lesson just looking at this one point. I I put a bunch of scriptures up there. And my intention here is just to overview a biblical principle uh, for us to consider. Deuteronomy 5 verse 32 uh, says, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. Everything that I command you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The same principle from Deuteronomy is reiterated to us in the very last book of our Bibles, Revelation 22, uh, where we're told regarding the words of that book that if anyone adds to these words, God will add the, the plagues that are written in this book to them. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, uh, it, their portion will be taken away from the tree of life. And so that same principle of acting based on what God has said, not adding to, not taking from, not departing to the left or to the right, 
uh, is reiterated for us in the New Testament. Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, as we talked about recently in one of our Bible classes, that, that means by, by the authority, according to the will, uh, and, and for his glory. Uh, so everything that we do, what we speak, what we practice, needs to be based on what Jesus has told us he, he desires. First um, Peter 4, verse 11, if anyone speaks, he is to speak as the oracles of God. Anything that we teach, any instruction, any judgment is not us, it's the Lord. Um, that's where the focus is. What has God said? Um, and we see this principle in our recent study in the, the Gospel of John as we look at Jesus's example. Jesus continually says, I don't speak or act on my own authority. I speak what I've heard from the Father. I do the things that I've seen from the Father. If Jesus, the Son of God, did not depart in any way from what it was that he heard and saw from the Father, uh, certainly that's an example for us. We can look at many Old Testament examples of those who acted outside of what God had commanded. Um, uh, Nadab and Abihu offering unauthorized fire that the Lord had not commanded. Um, we have talked about recently uh, David uh, when he transports the ark and didn't seek the Lord according to the rule. Um, and so... When, when it comes to our service to God, we see this principle continually throughout the scriptures that, that we're not intended to kind of go out on a limb and say, well, I think that God would probably approve of this, right? When it, when it comes to our service to God, we're, we're, we're not supposed to be going out on limbs. We're supposed to be rooting our, our, our service, everything that we do, everything that we teach in what God has said. And so when you see that principle throughout the scriptures, does, does that sound like God wants us to take his silence as some type of blank slate um, for us to just kind of improvise with and do whatever we find most meaningful and impactful as long as it's not expressly prohibited? Or does it sound like God wants us to be careful to do and teach exactly what he has revealed no more and no less? And so the question becomes, what, what has he revealed that he wants from us under the new covenant? Uh, and and if it, for, for people who have asked me about uh, our, our practice here of not using instruments, this, this is normally the, the explanation that I give. I, I used to work at Subway when I was in high school. And I, I quickly learned that there are three ways I could mess up somebody's sandwich. Um, Either I could fail to give them something that they ordered, right? They say they want extra cheese and I don't give them extra cheese. I've messed up their sandwich. I failed to do something that they told me they wanted. Or maybe I do something that they tell me they don't want me to do. I say, do you want it toasted? They say no. And I go ahead and do it anyway. I messed up their, their order, right? Um, so I could do something that they told me not to do. I could not do something that they told me to do. Or there's a third way. I, I could do something to their sandwich that they just didn't mention they wanted me to do, right? I could look at, down at their sandwich and I could say, you know what? I think onions would go really good on this sandwich. If, if it was Erin, she would not touch that sandwich, right? You, you didn't have to say, don't do this and don't do that. If I just kind of improvise and put something in that you didn't mention, suddenly I, I messed up your order, Right? And so as we think about that concept, we've talked about worship is not about us, right? It's not our order. It's not our sandwich. <laughs> it's the Lord's. It's his order. And so what we're seeking to do is find out, God, what is it that you want? 
And when God tells us what he wants, we're, we're not at liberty to, uh, to presume upon his order and say, well, we think this would go really well as well. Um, so what has God revealed? Ephesians 5, 19, uh, 18 and 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Here God tells us exactly what he wants of us uh, in our, our song worship. He wants us to be teaching and admonishing, to be speaking to one another, to be singing and making melody with our hearts to the Lord. And so God has ordered in his worship, our voice and our hearts. Um, you know, instruments do not speak, they, unless you're Peter Frampton. You know, they, they, they do not teach, they do not admonish. Um, and so that's not part of what God has instructed of us here. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 15, perhaps almost making a, a contrast between the worship of the old covenant here. It says, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Uh, not, uh, you know, the, the fruit of our field, not uh, the first fruits or, or the best of our flock, um, not the fruit of our fingertips, uh, but the fruit of our lips, expressing thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, and so as, as we mentioned briefly, uh, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, remember there when they bring unauthorized fire before the Lord, profane fire before the Lord, it says it, it was fire which he had not commanded them. Right? It doesn't say which he had prohibit, prohibited them of. Um, it was outside of and beyond what was instructed. Uh, and so y- you think about this in something like the Lord's Supper. You know, we, we don't have permission to add additional elements to the Lord's Supper. Now, God hasn't given us an exact recipe for bread, right? Exactly how we're supposed to make the bread or something like that. But, but does that mean that God would be okay if we added other elements to that. If we added some, some jelly or some peanut butter or, or cream cheese, or maybe we, we, you know, get an Oreo cookie and say, well, that's, I'm pretty sure that's unleavened. So we, we, well, obviously I'm using a ridiculous example here, but I think it's a principle we can understand. We, we're not at liberty to add to or, or change what God has instructed, even where he hasn't given us an exact recipe, Right. Um, that doesn't mean that we can add uh, other things to it. And so God hasn't given us an exact recipe for singing. He hasn't told us, sing call and response, sing unison, sing four-part harmony. But, but that doesn't mean that it's a blank slate for us to add other elements that, that we'd like or whatever appeals to us. And, and, and you wouldn't say that it was legalistic for a customer at Subway to demand that you know, the, the, the person followed their order, right? <laughs> no, that, that's reasonable. That, that, because, it, you know, the customer is always right. Uh, well, well who, what is worship about? Is it about us? Or is it about the Lord? And so it's not being legalistic for us to be careful to follow God's instructions, to give him what it is that he desires. If worship is really about him, 
um, then we should be careful not to insert our own ideas or our own preferences into his order. Uh, but, but you might say, well, but it's, it's in the Old Testament. And certainly it is. It's all over the Old Testament. Um, but many things in the Old Testament are not still part of what God desires of us as his people today. We see we, we are no longer under the Old Covenant. Um, Hebrews 8, verse 6 through 13, we're told that in Jesus we have a better mediator of a better covenant uh, based on better promises. And so we're no longer under the, the fleshly covenant uh, of the old law, but under a spiritual covenant in which God's word, we're told, is written upon our hearts. Um, and so Hebrews 8 makes it clear under this new covenant that's made the old covenant obsolete. I, I want you to look in particular with me at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 8 and 9, uh, the Hebrew writer is just quoted from Psalm 40 uh, in verse 5 through 7. He says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offering and sin offering you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me in the scroll of the book. Notice verse 8 and 9. It says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and sin offering. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying all those aspects of worship under the old law have been done away with. Um, that that's no longer the way in which God desires for us to, to worship him. The old methods of worship have ceased. Uh, and so animal sacrifice uh, and burn, burning of incense in the Old Testament uh, do not authorize their use in worship today. We, we wouldn't say that that's how God desires for us uh, to worship him. Uh, now, God certainly was patient with Jewish brethren, brethren as they transitioned away from these old practices and learned to serve and worship under the new covenant. Uh, but that doesn't mean God would be pleased with us going back to that today, right? Um, but, but let, let me address another issue here. Uh, you, you might say, well, clearly there was a time where God was pleased with that, right? In the Old Testament. So it's not that there's some inherently bad thing about instrumental music, right? God, God was pleased with it. Um, and if in the Old Testament they were worshiping with instruments, you know, kind of on their own initiative with, without divine authority, then could, couldn't we do that today? You know, um, could, could, could we, uh, without some express command, go ahead and, and use it in our worship today? But I think we need to acknowledge that all musical instruments in the Old Testament uh, were instituted by God. This wasn't just the idea of David. This wasn't just some idea that the Jews came up with. These were practiced by the authority of God. And I hope we can appreciate uh, to, to what extent and what detail it was authorized by God. Look, look with me in uh, Numbers chapter 10. I'm going to put this up on the screen. This is the first time uh, that, that we clearly see musical instruments instructed under the Old Testament. And Numbers chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 uh, it starts by saying, the Lord spoke further to Moses saying, make yourself two trumpets of silver of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. Later on in that same passage, verse 10, it says, also in the day of your gladness 
and in your appointed feast, and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. So this, this is the first time we, we see God in, instructing uh, the use of musical instruments in worship. Uh, and he tells them the, the type of instrument. He tells them how many. He tells them out of what material it was supposed to be made. He tells them who was supposed to blow it, when they were supposed to blow it, where they were supposed to use it. Um, this is not something that the Israelites simply came up with on their own. And then we see that expanded in the time of David as he prepares for the building of the temple. And so this was very much something that was centered around the tabernacle. Uh, and then during the time of David, not only do they have trumpets, but they have harps and lyres, cymbals, timbrels, pipes. Did David come up with that on his own though? Well, in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, during the time of Hezekiah, when Hezekiah is seeking to restore temple worship, um, notice what it says about what he does here. It says, he then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet, for the command was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with their trumpets. Was this just David's idea? You know, was this something that, that they, they just saw in the cultures around them and they brought in? Well, no, it was something directly instructed by the Lord through his prophets. And so the, the instruments that they used, the way in which they used them was all divinely directed. Even uh, when they used them was similar to what we saw back in Numbers 10. It says in verse 27 and 28 here, when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. It's exactly what, what we saw in Numbers 10, except in this case expanded beyond the, the silver trumpets of the, the tabernacle era. And so this was something that God instructed and was actually quite specific in what he instructed, um, telling them who and, and when and where and, and what. And so we need to recognize that the Jews saw instrumental music as a function of the Levites and priests and an element of temple worship. In fact, instrumental music was never used uh, in ancient times, at least in, in synagogue worship uh, because it was seen as part of the, the temple. So historically, and again, history is not the foundation. God's word is the foundation that we're wanting to build on. But I think it does help us to understand historically that the early church rejected the use of instrumental music as largely being part of Judaism. It was not until about 600 years after the time of Christ uh, that, that we can see historically the, the Roman uh, Catholic Church introducing instruments. And it wasn't widely accepted until about the 13th century. Um, and so let, let me just give you a, a few quotes from uh, uh, early church writers. Justin Martyr in 140 AD, so just about a generation removed from the apostles, said the use of singing with instrumental music was not received in the Christian churches as it was among the Jews in their infant state, but only the use of plain song. Um, we can see Clement of Alexandria writing in 150 to 215 AD, 
uh, says, leave the pipe to the shepherd, the flute to the men who are in fear of gods and are intent on their idol worshiping. Such musical instruments must be excluded from our wineless feast. So here, Clement is saying more in contrast to the pagan worship around them, uh, which is perhaps the contrast that we see there in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, that they, they would not uh, allow that or introduce that into to Christian worship. Even later than that, uh, Nicita, Bishop of Remiziana, uh, says, For what is fleshly is rejected, including circumcision, the Sabbath, sacrifices, discrimination in foods, trumpets, harps, cymbals, drums, which now are all understood to resonate better in the members of the human being. And so here, uh, again, much, much later at this point, but there was this connection that they saw with uh, the Jewish practices uh, of circumcision, of the Sabbath, of, of sacrifices, as well as instruments and, and worship. Um, and Thomas Aquinas, uh, all the way in 1250 says, uh, our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries to praise God withal, that she may not seem to Judaize. Um, and so again, history is not the basis on which we're going to determine what it is that God desires of. It's, it's his word. Uh, but, but I want us to, to see and to understand that throughout the early church, musical instruments were associated with Judaism, um, with the old law, along with things like animal sacrifice. And so as we see this contrast between the old and new covenant, and we come to the New Testament, and all of a sudden, all of that is, is not there. It's gone. Uh, it seems there is an intentional contrast, at least an intentional contrast, uh, that the early church picked up on. Um, let, let me also mention, uh, in, the, in the rare cases that there are examples of instruments outside of the tabernacle or temple worship in the Old Testament, uh, we see it being by prophets, um, by Miriam the prophet in Exodus 15, um, and by a group of prophets in the days of Samuel and for Samuel 10. Um, and so I, I think we, we have to conclude that it seems always to be associated with divine authority. Um, and with what God directed in worship under the Old Testament. And so as we come to the new covenant, uh, we, we need to ask, well, do, do we see that? No such divine direction has been given to us under the new covenant. In the Old Testament, God was very specific about what instruments, when, who, where. Um, none of that is, is instructed to us under the, the new Testament. But, but let me address a, a third uh, question that, that might arise. Uh, and this is that uh, instruments are just an aid to worship, not, not an addition to it. Uh, for, for example, does the general command to sing authorize singing with instrumental accompaniment? Um, you know, many times God gives us a, a general command uh, and there are many different ways that we can fulfill that command, right? Uh, let, let me use a, a very simple example that's so simple, it might also almost seem silly. Uh, but in, in Mark 16, 15, when God says, go into all the world and preach, he doesn't specify how we're supposed to go. <laughs> and so, you know, can, can we walk? Can we run? Can we ride a horse or camel? Can we go in a car or a boat or a plane? Yes, all of that, right? The general command to go um, can, can be fulfilled in many different ways. Uh, and so the command to sing, can the command to sing be fulfilled in, in many different ways? Uh, you know, 
you, you might think of an aid like a, a pitch pipe uh, to, to start the, the song, to make sure we start on the right note. Um, you know, that, that's not an element of worship. That, that's something that's helping us fulfill the command to sing. Well, might we see an instrument that way? Um, you know, it, it's just kind of a pitch pipe that goes all throughout the song, that, that keeps us on the note through, throughout the entire song. It's an aid, but, but not um, something that is, is a different element of worship. You know, like a, a walker might assist us in walking, right? It's not doing something else. It's, it's fulfilling the command to, well, not that we have a command to walk, but, you know, it, it's helping us walk. It's, it's not doing something else. Or, or like eyeglasses help us see. They're an aid, not an addition. Um, could we say that that's the case with instrumental music? That it, it's, God's told us to sing, and this is just one of the ways that we can fulfill that command. Um, the, the main reason that I w- wouldn't uh, agree with that is because I think under the Old Testament, it's very clear that instruments were an element of the worship itself. Under the Old Testament, they weren't an aid. Uh, they, they were part of the worship. Look, look at Psalm 150. Psalm 150, verse 3 through 5. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with stringed instrument and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Could, could you say that about a pitch pipe? You know, praise him with the pitch pipe. <laughs> well, no. No, that, that, that's an aid. Um, here, it, it seems very clear that uh, God's instruction to, to worship with instruments under the Old Covenant was not to help them fulfilling the command to, to sing. Um, it within itself was part of the worship. It was an expression of something um, which God tells us today needs to be expressed through our voice and through our hearts. Um, and so musical instruments are not a legitimate method of fulfilling the command to sing. They, they are presented to us as an independent form of praise that could stand all on their own uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, there was much an element of worship themselves as the burning of incense or the offering of sacrifice. Um, and so I, I think that, that is the main reason that, that I at least would conclude uh, we, we can't see that as an aid to worship uh, because I don't think God sees it as an aid. Uh, he saw it as, as an element of the worship itself. But let me bring up something else. Um, and, and I don't think this is the basis on which our conclusions should be reached. But I think it is something worth considering. And that is the question, would instruments truly aid in achieving the goal of our worship in the first place? And, and, and this is an area where... There may be room to, to differ on this. Again, I, I, I don't think this is the basis on which we should reach our conclusion. But, but I want us to go back and consider again, what does God say is the goal of New Testament song worship? Uh, Colossians 3, verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another. Um, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You know, if, if we're going to let the Bible define the primary purpose of our song worship, if, that, if that's where we're reaching our conclusion of what it is that we're supposed to be accomplishing, then it's not just to stir up the emotions. It's not to create a moving experience. 
It's not just to get some good vibes flowing in the room. It is to teach, to admonish, to speak, to communicate thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. Um, do, do instruments teach? Do instruments admonish? Do instruments speak? You know, they may very well stir up our emotions. Uh, but emotions stirred up by musical sound alone are of no value. Uh, they're no value on their own. Um, that cannot be the primary source of our emotions, as we talked out about before. Um, and, and I want us to, to look at the only time in the New Testament that instruments are mentioned in the context of worship. Now, now I, I say that I, Revelation is going to use a lot of Old Testament imagery. Uh, along with the burning of incense, it will mention uh, instruments using that same Old Testament imagery. But, but in the actual context of a New Testament uh, assembly of worship, there's one place that we do see instruments mentioned uh, in, in the New Testament. And that's in 1 Corinthians 14. As, as Paul is, is talking to the church in Corinth about their worship and about what it is that they're supposed to be accomplishing and what it is that they're supposed to be doing, Notice in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6, it says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, again, this is the context of, of the early church, the miraculous gifts. Uh, he says, If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the ear. Here, you know, speaking in tongues stirred up the emotions. It was a passionate and heartfelt worship experience. Um, but it had no meaning on its own uh, if it wasn't interpreted. Uh, and thus it had no value to the edifying of, of the brethren, right? It wasn't accomplishing God's intent uh, of, of teaching and admonishing. Later on in verse 12 uh, through 15, read, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the mind also. To edify and worship the way God desires, we must engage the heart and the mind, the spirit and the understanding. Uh, leading up to this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, you remember the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You remember Psalm 150 said, praise God with cymbals. <laughs> uh, in the Old Testament, that, that was part of the worship. But how does Paul speak about that here? He says, he uses it both in 1 Corinthians 13 and in 1 Corinthians 14 as an example of something that didn't accomplish what was intended. Here, speaking in tongues uh, of angels, if, if it wasn't directed by love and for the purpose of building up and encouraging my brethren, then his point is it's useless, right? You know, we, we, we might look at that and say, well, that sounds great, Paul. You know, we, we need more of that. Well, that's not what Paul is saying, is it? 
No, he's using it as, as an example of something that is not accomplishing the purpose that God intended. And so there, there's a lot more that, that we could uh, address here, but but I hope we we can see, ho- hope we can share some biblical truths here that, that are at least the basis for why this congregation has not uh, used instruments. Um, and again, th- there may be room for, for brethren here to, to reach some different conclusions. My intention in this is not to pass judgment on the convictions of others, but my intention is to present biblical truth, to ground everything that we do and practice on what it is that we read within God's word. Um, and so I, I invite you to consider the things that, that we've looked at today. Um, if you have questions about that, as I said, uh, there are more things that we could address here. I had a, an entire other fourth point that I cut out uh, for time's sake. So th- there's more that we could consider. Um, but, but remember our goal, our goal in everything is that what we offer to God is what it is that he has told us he desires, right? It's, it's his order, uh, not ours. It, it is uh, intended to be a sweet smelling aroma to him. And so that's what needs to direct us. Um, and so I, I challenge you to, to consider, are my conclusions about this genuinely based on what I read within God's word? Um, or are they coming from somewhere else? So, you know, I, I'm glad to discuss any questions, any feedback regarding these things. And I hope that we as a congregation can continue um, to, to grow in these things, um, to do the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Uh, but let, let me leave you with, with one question uh, to consider. Is the way that I think about worship more influenced by the religious world around me, by my own personal experiences, um, or the culture in which I live? Or is it most influenced by what I read within the scriptures? Um, I, I hope we can all agree that that needs to be the foundation for how I think about worship. Um, it, it, is my reaction to the things that I've heard today, whether positive or negative, coming from what I've read in God's word? Or is it coming from my own comfort zone? Uh, my own experiences, my own preferences. Uh, and I, I think I can be just as guilty of, of letting that be what's directing my conclusions as anybody else. And so I, I, I challenge, I, I encourage you to challenge me to make sure that that's where my conclusions are coming from as well. And if it is the case that we've cultivated an appetite and acquired a taste for something that is different than what God desires of us, then what should we do about that? You know, the, go- the gospel constantly calls us to realign our desires to conform with God's will. And that doesn't just apply to, you know, all, all the bad things out in the world, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol and sexuality and foul language. That, that even applies to worship, right? Maybe I've cultivated an appetite for something that's different than what it is that God desires of me. Just as we would call anybody else to realign their desires, maybe my desires need to be realigned to what it is that God desires. If we rarely find ourselves in a situation where what God desires of us is different than what we ourselves would desire, then we probably aren't serving the Lord. Um, If we've never had to change what we think, um, then then maybe we need to step back uh, and, and dig a little deeper. Um, so 
I, I encourage you to consider these things. I encourage you to challenge me in these things. Um, and, and again, I, as I said, I, I was hesitant to, uh, to talk about these things because I don't want, in Romans 14, I, I, I don't want to pass judgment on the convictions of others. But I do want to present the truth, what I believe to be the truth. Uh, I do want to present biblical truths by which we can all hopefully reach conclusions on, on these things. And uh, so I hope that's helpful to you. If you recognize in some way today, in any way, whether it be what we've talked about here or somewhere else, that uh, there's an aspect of your life that is being directed by what it is that you desire um, and, and not by what it is that God desires of you, I, I encourage you um, to make whatever changes you need to make. Um, if, if you recognize that you've never given your life to the Lord, uh, God has made a way through the gospel by which you can bury the old life the old man of sin in the waters of baptism, you can be raised to live a new life. Do you need to do that today? Um, or maybe you've done that, but you're not living it. If there's any way that we can help you in your service to the Lord, uh, that's why we're here. We want to help one another in that. We want to help each other grow in that. Um, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, and there's any way that we can help you, uh, we ask that you'll let it be known by coming forward as, as we stand and sing together.